You're listening to Mornings with Kelly and Steve on Moody Radio, from the word to life. Well, we've been telling you all morning about a conversation that we were going to be having with Dr. Heather Holloman. You know, I'm looking here, and uh, there's a there's a Buckeye game coming up this weekend, playing Penn State, and she happens to be the associate teaching professor at Penn State. So how do you feel about that, first off? We can still be friends. We can still <laughs> be friends. <laughs> hey, I didn't say anything about what side of that equation that I'm on. I was just wondering how you're feeling about the game. Well, I'm excited. It's a noon game, which students don't love. They love the evening games much better. But um, I'm excited. I, I will watch the game. I'll probably also be raking leaves. <laughs> because you said you're having a nice fall over there, right? It's a beautiful fall. It's one of the best falls we've had. So I'm just really, I'm loving the weather here in Pennsylvania. Kelly, do you see what I did there? I started a general conversation. You did. Yes. I did. I created a pathway to connect in an age of isolation, Kelly, and incivility. I know you, you almost created some borderline incivility because you brought the sports conflict thing into it, but you handled it beautifully because we brought it all the way back around to fall and everybody's happy. And like Heather said, we're still friends. And see that? We look beyond all of the surface stuff and see brothers and sisters in Christ. This guy is slick, Heather. Be careful. <laughs> <laughs> I'm loving this already. Subversion. This Subversion. Fun already. Oh, boy. <laughs> well, Heather, you have the new book, The Six Conversations, Pathways to Connecting in an Age of Isolation and Incivility. And man, I was just telling Steve a couple of minutes ago, that is really, that is exactly where we seem to be right now in our culture. Yes, that's what I'm seeing on the college campus, in neighborhoods, you know, churches kind of falling apart from just so much conflict and people not being able to come together. So I'm deeply passionate about connecting people in loving community um, and kind of fighting this loneliness epidemic we're seeing. Well, one of the things that is most challenging uh, coming off of two years of somewhat forced isolation, then really just we got comfortable. Let's just let's just say it. We got comfortable hanging out by ourselves and really not having to engage with other people. And then it made it a little bit more difficult. We saw kids going back into school, people returning to the workplace. And it's almost as though, you know, we lost our ability to just have civil discourse course with others and even interact. We became socially awkward because uh, as a result of this. But you talk about a very important thing, which is the theology of loving conversations. So help us understand, what, what is a good conversation? Well, a great conversation is when you are doing four things, and I call them the four mindsets of a loving conversation. And you're absolutely right. People have lost this skill, especially young people. So in any conversation, you want to first be curious to so go ahead and ask people questions about their life. You're going to believe the best instead of judging people or being suspicious, you know, that they're Ohio State fans, for example. You're just going to, you know, believe the best about them. You're going to express concern and then share your life. And if one of those is missing, the whole conversation sort of falls apart. That is the truth. Mm, Boy, that that's the truth. True. Yeah. Well, you know, 
Heather, you're you're over there by Penn State, and and you're you're in that environment. Um, what are some things you're noticing there, and just in your community around you that really concerned you so much about conversations? Because you know what, what you said at the beginning of our time together, we see it too. And what Steve said is so true. We've gotten comfortable. I I think we have forgotten how to converse, and everybody is angry about something. So when we do talk, it's it's not civil, and social media <laughs> is evidence of that. That's definitely what I'm seeing, and that's what motivated me to write the book, in addition to just people wanting training and how to have conversation. Probably what breaks my heart the most is when college students will say to me, you know, Dr. H., you just don't know how lonely it feels to be a college student, and we'll talk about the things we do in class to build community and help people have good connections with each other, and they just love it. They love learning to connect with each other, having great conversations. I talk to a lot of teenagers, too who say that nobody asks them one question about their life and they just kind of stare awkwardly together, you know, at their phones and nobody's really connecting. So that's kind of what I'm seeing. I'm also seeing people being really afraid to voice their opinion because of cancel culture. They're really afraid to just say anything because they feel like they're going to offend someone. There's going to be outrage. So nobody's really having productive conversations about social change. Well, these changes that we're seeing, they're, they're sort of historical changes, though. Um, you know, when we were enduring this whole pandemic, you know, we all looked back to the early 1900s during the Spanish flu epidemic. But really, there are very few who are still with us that even remember that and can understand, like, what did people go through in those times and how did we come out of it? And culturally, we are absolutely a different group of people. But what is it then when we come back together that causes things to go sideways in our conversation? What is it that throws us off track? Where do we make mistakes in our conversation? Well, once you get the four mindsets correct, what I'm seeing, though, is a lot of people are deficient in the area of believing the best about people. Mm. So when you approach a conversation and you're already suspicious and judgmental, the person's not going to want to open their life to you and have a warm and loving connection. So that's where to start. And then what we're seeing is a lot of people approach conversation sort of as an argument or it's going to be about criticism, complaining. I talk about 10 pitfalls, 10 things that kind of can go wrong in conversation, at least what we know biblically about gossip and having divisive speech and those sorts of things. But one thing I learned is people do not like advice giving. They don't want to be told what to do or what to believe. They want you to listen to them. And then when it's time, they want you to share your life. But a lot of people start out just telling people what they should do. And that's the one thing I'm learning to avoid. Nobody wants advice. They want you to listen Mm -hmm. and to engage with them. Well, Heather, let let me dig into that. Let's talk about that for just a second, what you just said. Nobody wants to listen. We want to give advice. We want to be heard. We want to, and and I notice this too in conversations a lot, and I've caught myself even being guilty of it, and I'm trying to figure out where did this even come from in me. This is not who I was before the pandemic, I don't think anyway. But when someone is talking to me or if I'm talking to someone else about a struggle or an issue, they want to interrupt right away and either A, give advice or B, tell their own experience and to such an extent that you don't ever get to finish sharing what you really needed to talk out with someone. Why do we do that? Well, part of it is just learning the art of conversation. I'm an interrupter as well. I I was a terrible listener. In fact, the best thing I learned 
as I researched this book and studied it, the number one thing I learned was how to be a good listener. And a good listener knows what to listen for. And what a good listener does is they listen for core values. So Kelly, if you were telling a story, and I noticed that as you were telling some of your struggles, that you kept mentioning how you felt, you know, maybe you felt badly because you couldn't do your best at a project or you felt like a failure in this area. I could say to you, Kelly, it seems like you really value excellence. Let's talk more about this. And you would say, I do. I really do value those things. So learning what people value, talking to them in a way where you acknowledge those things and looking for kind of the narrative of their life. You know, what God, what is God doing in their life? What are the things that they value? That's how people feel like they're really being listened to and we're terrible listeners in the culture. We just like to share our opinion. That's what social media is. Share your opinion. But nobody's really listening well to each other. Well, you know, I want to go back to this concept of believing the best, right? Because you said yes. that's where you recognize the greatest deficiency. Now, this is troubling because as Christians... This brings us to the concept of the Imago Dei, right? Where we right. are to see others as the image of Christ. But we go into it and we say there's this surface thing, right? Maybe they're an Alabama fan, right? Maybe there's something <laughs> else that we go, wait a second, you're not on my side. Or they hold values that are different than us. And we immediately begin with a prejudice toward that person. Where... How do we overcome that? How do we overcome that? Well, the way I've learned to overcome it and what I've been teaching others is when you believe the best about someone, it's called unconditional positive regard. And that should remind listeners, that's what God does for us, the grace of God. We don't deserve salvation. It's very biblical to pour out the grace of God over other people. Like, I will accept you. I will love you because of what God, you know, God's love for me. The second thing is to remember that people are doing their best, and there's usually a story behind why they believe what they believe or what, you know, what happened to them to make them hold this viewpoint. Sometimes if I'm really struggling, I like to look at people and try to think about what they were like as children. We probably would have played together on the playground. So what I'm seeing is people meet someone and immediately they're thinking, who did they vote for? What do they believe about vaccines? You know, what was their position on Roe v. Wade? Instead of that, look at people and think to yourself, this is a person made in the image of God. They have infinite value. They have a one-of-a-kind point of view on the world because of who they are. This person can teach me something about God. This conversation is a sacred space. And then when you're in conflict or when, when someone presents a different opinion, you can say to them, I can tell you care about this issue. I would love to know the story of how you arrived at that opinion. Be curious. Learn from this person. That's going to change your conversations forever, and you're going to have so many warm connections with people Mm -hmm. that you didn't think you'd ever connect with. Hey, if you're just tuning in, we're talking with Heather Holloman, author of the Moody Publishers book, The Six Conversations, Pathways to Connecting in an Age of Isolation and Incivility. And Heather, I wanted to talk to you about this, too, because I had this experience just this week, yet again. And I think one of the things, well, it's it's two things, um, and you talk about this in your book, too, um, 
fear and self-consciousness. And I think we've got to be so careful when we're talking with people who might be experiencing that and they're a little timid to open up to us to begin with, because if we're not careful, they're going to see us, as you said earlier, in a a certain way. So they're going to be a little bit on guard because they're fearful, they're self-conscious. And I would love for you to talk a little bit more about how we can be sensitive to that and, and recognize that, because I was talking to someone just this week, and it was so evident that I interrupted the conversation. And I said, you know, I keep hearing you say this and this and this, and here's what this tells me about how you're feeling about yourself, and you're worried about how I'm perceiving you. Don't you know that you are absolutely enough, and I'm, I'm here because I care about you? So oh, let's not wonderful. do that. Let's just talk. I love that you said that. That's exactly what I would hope I would say. I mean, actually, I'm seeing fear and self-consciousness on the other side. People not wanting to begin conversations because, you know, both parties are afraid. They're, they're afraid. They're self-conscious. What I learned from the social science research is people actually like you more than you think they do when you ask questions and when you're engaging in conversation. So to get over that sense that everyone's judging you and everyone's thinking bad things about you, most people are delighted to be in a conversation. They're delighted to have someone ask them questions about you. And also just to remind yourself, you can do these things by faith. Like if you're listening and you're like, I can't do this, I don't want to be in conversation. One thing I do is I say, God, help me do this by faith. Help me by the power of the Holy Spirit, get over myself and all of my self-obsession and self-focus. Help me love another person enough to be curious about them, to believe the best, to express concern, and to share my life with them. So some of it is just, you know, reminding yourself, I can do this in God's power. And also, the research shows people enjoy conversations. They're not judging you. Well, you talk about that, people enjoying conversation, but you end the book with a pretty good conversation, the greatest conversation. Yes. And yes. I'd love to unpack this a little bit. We've got a couple minutes left, but tell us why and, well, what it is that you've actually uncovered here in Genesis well, and why those what, conversations with God matter. Well, I love ending the book with the greatest conversation because God is a God of loving conversation. We can actually connect with Him and have a relationship with Jesus, and it's so profound to think about that that is so reflective of God. When we're connecting with other people, it represents God as a relational God. And so that chapter is really about the first questions that God asks in the book of Genesis, and there's three of them, and they really do relate to questions we can ask ourselves about where we are with God. God says, you know, where are you? Who told you you were naked? And what have you done? And those questions are really, who are you? Where are you in relation to God? Who told you these things about yourself? What are you believing? Who are you authorizing to give you information about your identity? And then lastly, that question, what have you done, is a question to help us find peace with God in our lives, find peace with the Holy God when we know we're in sinners, what, that we're sinners in need of forgiveness and salvation. Ooh. Yeah, this is good stuff, Heather. Seriously, I wish we had more time. Can you come back? <laughs> well, yes, I love Kelly and Steve. You guys are great. We need. Well, oh, look at that affirmation. She's already won me. That's it, right there. It. We're, we're going to follow you everywhere now. <laughs> yeah, you'll be raking yes. leaves. We'll be there. Yeah, I would love to come back on the program. So much to talk about with having great conversations. You're listening to Mornings with Kelly and Steve on Moody Radio. From the word to life.